The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. All good things come to an end, but not inflation. Buenvenido todo el mundo al Retiro con Estilo. Y yo me llamo Alejandro Burguía. Estoy con mi socio, el licenciado Wade Faub. Y nuestro invitado, Roberto T. French. ¿Cómo estamos? No, I was wondering if you were going, if you're actually going to translate the last name or not here. Hey, Roberto Francés. ¿Cómo estamos, todo el mundo? ¿Cómo estamos? Impressive. Hopefully folks are still listening in, though, and not thinking that this language modes. Hey, man. So many times I get to impress Wade, so I'm going to, let me just soak in, Calgon, take me away as I soak into that bath of Wade's compliments. <laughs> uh, so Wade, a burning question all of our listeners want to know, all of them being all three of them, want to know <laughs> how many push-ups, how many push-ups are we up to? I'm getting back on track again today, but uh, I have back an excuse. On track. I, got the, uh-huh. I got my vaccines. <laughs> I got a round oh, of vaccines okay. that left me yeah. unable to do push-ups for a couple of days. <laughs> it's um, a want you yeah, gotta want my it, way man. you gotta want them yeah, man. i'm gonna i'm still on track we're gonna get up to 100 a day soon <laughs> all right how many days in a row well how many days in a row have you done and, and i'm doing real push-ups i wonder if you're doing i don't know if you're on youtube are these real gains <laughs> how many days have you gotten well, I've, I've not had a day with 100 yet, but it's I'm, I'm no, working but, my just, way towards 100. Hey, we're just happy you're here. We're just happy you're here at the gym. That's all. We're just happy you're here. That's right. It's, it's a no judgment zone, just like, what is it, Planet That's Fitness right. or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, no. Well, I've, I've kept it up, man, and I've done 100 real ones. My kids, my kids are yeah, there, and they great. always, like, bother me. Not in a row, though. I do, like, no, 25 or 30. 25 or 30 is kind of where I'm at. At a time? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm working yeah, I'm, on the I'm negative. Now I'm working on the negative. 20, 20 in a round, and then you get up to 20 or 25, four or five times a day, you'll be there. So people won't so recognize soon. us. Yeah. That's what about right. you, Bob? Are you doing anything or just eat consuming calories? <laughs> I, I do work out. I'm not doing 100 push ups a day. I'm, I'm not on this train. But, what are you uh, doing? Just uh, general, general stuff i'm running yeah. and uh what my what my trainer <laughs> you, tells you me you know what that do. means you know what that means way not a not a damn thing is what he's doing <laughs> <laughs> a full day for him is oh i closed my loops or i'm halfway through my loops or something right. like that do you have an apple are you using an apple i don't use an apple watch me neither i can't stand the hegemony <laughs> I, I don't know what i do with it it's you know i don't know well, the benefit of having all that stuff on my wrist when i've got my phone in my pocket no, I, 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 it's too much. It's too much. And plus, 
when I type, I always take off my watch because it bothers my wrist. Maybe I'm not doing the keyboard correctly. And it's taking off, put it on. Who, who has time for that? Right, Wade? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but do I'm you use Apple? Guy. Oh, you're a favorite. I do. I have an iPhone. I do not care for it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You see, Wade and I, you see? That's why it's Wade and me, Bob, and you have to be a guest. Ah, Because yeah. <laughs> I don't want to send you a text and it's the wrong color. <laughs> Yeah, my kids have iPads. Every time they have <laughs> did Bob just drop like? Well, I did not. Mom did. I did mom not. Did. I almost did, but it is incredibly annoying. Your texts are green. It, it's just the worst thing in the world. You know, believe it or not, it is a thing amongst my boys where they have apples, and it's not just that they're green. It's like, like to be in like conversations, like in threads or whatever. It. It's something about it that it's, I think it's something that's weird. I don't know where it is, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a like a middle finger to everyone else. But yeah, there it is, right? Speaking yeah, about middle fingers, wait. Supposedly, <laughs> Apple is hip, and you if you're cool, you use Apple, and if you use Android, you're old fashioned. So I guess I'm right. old fashioned, but I I can't Come stand on, Apple products. <laughs> I'm like actually, I I think the Samsung that I have is is like actually better <laughs> than an Apple, but. It's almost like even if it wasn't, I'd probably do a Samsung anyways because I think I'm naturally a bit of a contrarian like that. Like I don't want to do what everyone is doing just because, I that just, kind of thing. Yeah, I've I just never don't know how to, that buttons are, how to do stuff. <laughs> yeah. Only one mouse I'm not button. A I, I just I'm not a sheep like Bob. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So. <laughs> we got an agenda for today. <laughs> De que vamos a hablar hoy? What are we talking about today, gentlemen? Well, we're going to well, wrap up our series on inflation that Bob has been a very big part of helping us out with this. We want to go through the retirement income styles. It's somewhat a, a way to review what we've been talking about, but specifically, how do you manage inflation with each of the four retirement income styles? Okay. And be- you, before Alex? that, yes, it sounds excellent. <laughs> before that, I got a Godfather reference here. Just a, no, no, no. I was at a conference in parts unknown, right? In Indiana. And uh, I was sitting at the table with these two ladies and we were advisors and we were talking for whatever. And they mentioned The Godfather as as being a, a, a bad movie because uh, it's it's really a, a, a guy movie at heart. And that's all it is. You know, that kind of thing. And I was like, I disagreed, obviously. It's a work of art. <laughs> well, not the third one, right? <laughs> Uh, and uh, and then I started watching White Lotus with my wife, like last week, season two. And there's a there's a bit where they go into The Godfather, how it's like, a mis- you know, it, it's a guy movie. You know, they, they were kind of like it was like repeating what I heard, and I was like, oh, that's where they got it from. So Bob, does art imitate <laughs> life, or does life imitate art? I don't know, but I've never watched The Godfather, and because yeah, you, I never will. <laughs> it's a violent movie. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> inflation. Inflation. <laughs> this is not going where you wanted it to, is it? No, I don't care. I just wanted to throw that in there. A bit is I, I figured there's some people that are like, let's get to the topic. And I'm kind of uh-huh. messing around a little bit. I'm breaking that fourth wall with our listeners. Yeah, I see those one star reviews starting to flow in. <laughs> My cup runneth over. Yeah. All right. <laughs> inflation. But, um, take it away. Yeah. So I I think a good place to start with this is actually before we even get to the quadrants, you know, it's incredibly important to recognize, you know, we all to a very much 
you know, a very big first assumption. Uh, we all get Social Security. You know, that's going to cover a lot of people's, of most people's uh, essential expenses. And that is inflation adjusted inherently. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some some small groups of people who don't get Social Security, um, you know, railroad workers and, you know, uh, some other folks. Um, but by and large, everyone does. That is kind of the baseline for most everyone's retirement plans. That is the baseline for how most everyone is going to deal with inflation. And that's always a good place to, to start these conversations. And I know we've mentioned it in, I think, every past episode where we've been talking about this, but that's for a reason. You know, it's mm-hmm. that is incredibly important here. Yeah, it's huge. It's a big chunk of inflation adjusted lifetime income. And the other thing we should just mention up front, too, is not everyone's spending needs are going to increase mm-hmm. with the overall consumer price inflation throughout their retirement. The, a, a simple assumption in the 4% rule is your spending always grows with inflation. But we do know that people voluntarily, it's not just because they run out of money, they, they voluntarily reduce their spending, or at least their spending doesn't grow with the overall inflation rate as they go yeah. through retirement. We have the go-go years, the slow-go years, mm-hmm. and the no-go years. People just naturally spend less as they age. Other than like David Blanchett's spending smile with how your spending declines, and then late in life, healthcare expenses may start to go up, but still overall, you're spending less on a on a lifetime basis compared to if you always just increased your spending for inflation. So between that issue and Social Security, it's not as though you need to make sure that every asset you have is somehow linked to the consumer price index. Absolutely. Well, this was talked about yesterday, too. I mean, not yesterday, whenever we recorded last week sometime. It's actually weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Boy, we need to work more. No, but it came up, right, where we got caught up in, okay, does this asset class track inflation and and this over-engineering of making sure every Mm -hmm. single thing is, you know, an inflation hedge. And that's not necessarily a need. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, with, with those two massive, massive caveats in place that you've just got something that isn't a big something that's inflation adjusted by dint of paying into the Social Security system. And your spending is not always going to track inflation. You're not going to be jumping out of airplanes when you're 80 years old, most likely. Um, You're going to slow down. You're not going to spend as much money you know, we can get into the conversation of all of that other stuff that we do want to talk about from an inflation perspective. So let's just let's just walk around the quadrants here, I guess. Um, so starting with total return. Yeah, um, and, and probably most uh, listeners are familiar with the retirement income styles at, the, yeah, at this well, that's point. Probably but if a you're a new listener, <laughs> if you're a new listener, welcome. Uh so the, the retirement income style awareness, we talk about four different approaches to thinking about how people think about building their retirement strategies. And, and we'll go through those. And as we begin with each style, we'll just give a brief mention of what it means, not to bore the audience who already knows, but we'll start with total returns. And total returns, that retirement income style is more comfortable relying on market growth, wanting to keep optionality for their assets and is generally comfortable using a diversified investment portfolio 
to source even essential spending beyond Social Security. They don't really feel a need for protected income sources like annuities or uh, individual bonds or bond letters. They, they're comfortable with a aggressive, diversified portfolio to provide the growth they need to source their spending in retirement. So that that's what the total return style is. And with no, that being no. said, Bob, sorry to interrupt you with what you were saying. No, that was, that was a pretty important interruption, I think. Um, <laughs> but I would say total return is pretty straightforward in terms of dealing with inflation. You invest your money. You put your money in the in the stock and bond market, the financial markets generally. And as we talked about you know, in previous weeks, I guess that's two weeks ago now, uh, over time, the expected return of risky financial assets is higher than inflation. And if you are investing for any meaningful length of time, the chance that you will outgrow inflation is pretty darn high. It's not 100%, but that's kind of the nature of the beast when we're talking about that total return quadrant. You're banking on those expected returns basically panning out. Um, so, you know, you're able to just build into your plan that your distributions will grow with inflation. Um, that's just part of your plan. Um, there's nothing special that needs to be done or anything like that. Bob, the, to add to this, because this goes back to what you said previously when we were talking about gold, Bitcoin, you know, you're, you're bringing yep. up assets. Bob used specifically the word outgrow, not hedge. Mm -hmm. And that's important because you're right. I mean, look, total return is the real concern there is, are you constructing the portfolio that is set to outgrow slash hedge a little bit, you know, whatever, you know, inflation, if you mm -hmm. can, you can't, you know, you're not going to get anything. You know, and, and so what we were speaking about last time, your best bet is just to get a diversified portfolio according to your risk capacity. See, I said that capacity according to your risk capacity and tolerance, in which will ultimately outgrow inflation. I, I think to me that would be the the goal. Not necessarily think about it as hedging. I have this, and when this goes down, right. this will go up. You know, that you can get into this mental sort of academic exercise. I, I think more important is just make sure the expected return is is you know has a x plus one relative to inflation, and you know it's getting you there, but. Go back to that episode if you need to, but when you construct that portfolio, you know, make sure you have a healthy dollop of things that will be able to do so because I don't want to give anyone the impression, oh, I'm in a portfolio that's 10% equities, 90% fixed income, and the, the fixed income is all in, I don't know, a five-year T-bill, you know, kind of thing, and I'm going to take my distributions off that because that's the total return. No, the, the building blocks of that portfolio is what you need to pay attention to. And then, you know, your distributions are as needed, you know, if you chose to yep. go that route. Wade, uh, anything there I may have missed or, or Bob? Did that sound about right? That's brilliant. Yeah, though I, uh, I would also right. mention, you know, with some of those numbers we looked at in the past, you know, that 10% stock portfolio, 90% five-year treasury bond portfolio or treasury note portfolio, you know, technically, statistically, that will still outperform inflation. Not by that much and with a lot of variance, but you know, over the long term, you would actually probably outperform inflation. The question is, can that portfolio still 
be able to provide the growth needed, the real growth needed, the inflation adjusted growth needed to keep up with all of your planned spending. So it's always going to be this push and pull. It's always going to be, you just need to run the numbers. You just need to run the plan and, you know, see what the probabilities of success are, see what failure looks like, see how everything kind of fits together and make sure that you're comfortable with, you know, what all of the numbers are telling you, that you are comfortable with that level of risk built into your plan because you're never going to find a total return plan that's 100% safe. That doesn't exist, but you need to be comfortable where you are on that spectrum. Yeah, and, and we did a whole arc on total return. And wait, I'm going to ask you a question here. So we don't need to get into the, the different types of styles. But at the big picture, I would like to just discuss the allocation piece. And Wade, you've looked at it. And you know the biggest mistake someone could make here, aside from you know worrying about just, just make sure you're taking the appropriate amount of risk, et cetera, et cetera, is the allocation when they over-engineer it. From, from the studies that I've seen, how much of a difference is there between a 30% equity portfolio versus 70% fixed income, you know, relative to like a, a, a 70, 30, you know, I, I, there, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a range in which I, I say this being a little cute granted, but there's a range where it doesn't really matter all that much, you know, right. but you don't want to go below it because then it does matter. <laughs> Do you want to just touch base about that? Yeah, in the historical simulations with U.S. data, kind of the work Bill Bengen had done, what we see is the the four percent safe withdrawal rate idea worked with anything between thirty five and eighty percent stocks. If you got less than thirty five percent stocks, you just didn't have enough growth potential. Uh, even with an all bond portfolio, historically two point four percent was the the safe spending number. And then once you start getting over 80% stocks, the uh, the volatility of the stock market did lead you to dip below 4%, not by much, but on occasion historically. And then I've looked at the international data as well. And at least um, in 18 of the 20 countries, having at least a 50% stock allocation tended to support support the highest spending in the worst case scenario. There were only two countries that you had your best outcome going under 50% stocks. So in historical data, Generally, this sort of total returns approach is pointing to not being too conservative with your portfolio. Uh, definitely not 10% stocks is not really what we're talking about at all. It's Bill Bengen in his first article said retirees should hold 50 to 75% stocks and as close as 75% as possible. And that's something that really, we, I mean, the precise numbers can vary from situation to situation, but it's the concept is there. Total returns requires being comfortable with a, a somewhat aggressive portfolio in retirement. Right. Doesn't and I hope that message is one hundred percent right by the numbers. Um, but it's easy to go too far on that statement as well. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean have a really aggressive portfolio. Fifty percent is fine. Um, you know, if we look at the the financial markets as a whole. It's real easy to forget the market portfolio is two-thirds stock, or actually two-thirds bonds, one-third stock. You know, so the total return portfolio, kind of the total return quadrant, is almost by its nature going to be tilting more aggressive, 
even with what people generally consider to be a conservative portfolio. And you don't want to push it too hard because, again, as Wade mentioned, you're going to be taking, you know, at least some of your essential spending from risky assets. You can't it's going to be a lot more painful for you in that total return quadrant to have a down market when you're trying to spend out of your portfolio than a lot of the other quadrants. So, you know, it's always going to be that, that again, that push and pull thinking through these trade-offs. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. So then, Bob, is it fair to, to make this statement when it comes to keeping up with inflation, you know, from a total return approach, you know, get a healthy mix of, yep. you know, stocks and bonds and you should be fine. Right. Absolutely. Don't don't lose sleep over. Do I need gold for three percent or or these sort of false sense of precision in allocations, you know, at at the end of the day, you know, get, get a healthy exposure to growth assets, risky growth assets and a healthy exposure to fixed income access relative to your overall risk tolerance, but don't, don't try to be over precise. And the, and the biggest issue, and notice how we're, we're getting back to, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's about allocation, right? The biggest issue is to me, the people that fail, are the people like, you know, I'm going to put Bengen in the mix here where, mm-hmm. you know, eat, you know, eat your own cooking, right? Where he like went to cash or he like, you know, went to extremely conservative. Now he could have a ton of money. So what does he care, right? <laughs> but no, no, it's like, you know, who cares, right? I can self-fund everything in cash then, you know, you know, <laughs> bless you, you know, congrats, no. you know, whatever. But effectively the danger comes where, People like people when they when you when you get this sort of level of preciseness or you get to forecasting, you go to cash for a while. Right. Then I, I'm going to go back to my portfolio. Then I'm going to go to cash. Then I'm going to go back to my portfolio because what inevitably happens is you miss it, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, then opportunity costs, inflation, and everything really hits you over the head. You know, the yep. worst thing you could do too is get it right the first two times because then you're you're <laughs> you're you're a self-ascribed genius, and you know that's right. At this point, you'll no, turn I, off I this podcast had, right now. <laughs> yeah, I think we've had uh, an episode on, on market timing, or we've certainly discussed it pretty mm-hmm. extensively. Um, but one of the things I always talk about is, you know, there's a reason 60-40 is the bog standard, stereotypical, you know, retirement portfolio. It strikes a pretty decent mix in terms of, you know, having enough in that growth portion of the portfolio but also tempering it enough with bonds, obviously, depending on what those bonds are. And obviously, depending on your reaction to all of the, the volatility that is still inherent there. But that's that's where a lot of people end up falling out. That seems to be a sweet spot for a lot of people. So that's at least where a lot of people can start from and move from there. Now you say bogs portfolio. You've said that all the time, and I always just n- the bog standard. I don't have the energy to ever but, ask you that. I just like assume a nod, and let's just move on. I, so I'm you have from no idea. Way, so I assume it means Wade Box. 
So yeah, Wade Boggs, oh. Boston Red Sox. No, it, it's no. not. But. <laughs> no, why would that have to do with sixty forty? <laughs> Did you eat chicken, Wade, before you started this podcast? Right. <laughs> Lemon chicken. No, it was, it was uh, the beers. So yeah, exactly. No, but it, it's you don't know where that name comes from. It's somebody's name, I, I assume. The okay. Bog standard just means kind of normal. Can you imagine yeah, it must have must have been some guy like at like working for Samsonite, their pension fund. Maybe it's right? a bog like BOG <laughs> down in the bayou. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I've never put enough thought oh into my it. God, we've got next we've time got CCR. I'm on, I will have next time I'm on, I will have an answer for you. Wait, guys. wait, wait! So. Throwing out John Fogerty <laughs> song titles all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Well, there is one more nuance, too. Before we move on from total returns, it's not just asset allocation. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not just asset allocation, but in the intellectual history of retirement income, there was this safety first concept that if you want to have a volatile investment portfolio, you should prepare for volatility with your spending. Mm -hmm. If you want constant spending, you shouldn't have volatility in your portfolio. And we see that idea with the retirement income style awareness, where total returns... If your total returns, it generally means you're more comfortable with flexibility for your spending. You have more of an accumulation mindset. You don't focus on predictable income. And so another lever built into the the total returns concept is if I have an aggressive investment portfolio, I better also generally be comfortable and I probably am more comfortable making spending cuts uh, as a or not having my if inflation ends up being higher than expected. I may not be able to keep up with inflation, and that's more built in that you're you're going to be more comfortable with that idea as part of being total returns. And so then that's another lever too, because part of the whole issue of sequence of returns risk is being forced to sell at a loss. Well, if you just don't increase your spending with inflation, you're you're not forced to sell as much of your assets, and and that becomes another way to help manage this sort of inflation risk as well. Yeah, see that I blew absolutely. Your I mean, that's that's a <laughs> no. You know, I'm, I'm still soaking in that intellectual <laughs> history. Sorry. Huh? Yeah, as much as the allocation <laughs> is a big story, you know that frankly is probably the bigger story. You know, the, being able to make those changes and accepting that you may need to make those changes in the future. That's that's almost the whole story. And so, it's a viable strategy. It's just yep. Just recognize the game you're playing. Exactly. Um, but with that, let's let's move on to time segmentation. That, that's quadrant two here. Well, I, I, I'll, you're breaking Wade's cardinal rule, Bob. What's that? Wade, do you know what that is? Oh, we've got to define the term, but uh, you didn't give no, him a no, chance no. yet. You, you always go, no, you always go from total return to income protection. Bob <laughs> is going counterclockwise on the matrix. I, 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 that is unheard of in this in this yep. in this hey, podcast. Going back to like middle school math. Oh, you know, I know the quadrants are numbered. You know the top. What is that? Top left with total return. That's quadrant one. Top yeah, right. Absolutely right. You know. You know you're absolutely that. correct. All right, all right, fine. But you know, I went <laughs> clockwise when when we started doing the stats. I identified it by clockwise, mm-hmm. not not traditional quadrant, and it mm-hmm. threw us off for the rest of the like data analysis. Where we we're like, okay, what the hell is quadrant two again? <laughs> we were like that. It was like, wait, it's the opposite. Yeah, that's it was like, right here. So I don't know if you remember that. Wait, remember we were like, it was like the coding. It threw off our stats coding. 
Because we were like, wait, yeah, what it took me a this? while to get the hang of your conventions. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a cross reference because everything the quadrants were identified with numbers, and I was having a cross reference what those numbers did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So deal. okay. So should we talk income protection now? Or, yes, or mix it up and re- no, talk no, risk I, I, <laughs> Probably easier to go with time segmentation. It's okay. It's a cousin of total returns, and it it it, it maintains the intellectual history. That's right. <laughs> the intellectual <laughs> integrity here. Wade's phrase of the day. <laughs> so, um, well, yeah. actually, Wade, why don't you do the uh, the definitions here? Okay, so time segmentation is. It's shifting away from total returns because you start thinking about your portfolio, earmarking different sections for different purposes based on time. And, and so it's bucketing. It's I'll have these different buckets and I'll have a short-term bucket where I'll put my bonds to cover short-term expenses. I may have a medium-term bucket, which is more mixed. And then I have a long-term bucket, which is where I tend to put my stocks. That's the growth portfolio earmarked to cover long-term expenses. So I may still end up with, say, a 60-40 portfolio, but it's just framed differently in my mind. My 40% bonds is all earmarked more for upcoming expenses. My 60% stocks is earmarked more for longer-term expenses. And then I do have to maintain some sort of rule around when I'm going to draw from the the long-term buckets to replenish my short-term buckets Mm -hmm. as I spend them. But then that gives me some flexibility to... Uh, make decisions around when I do that sort of replenishing. If my portfolio looks like it's in trouble, I might let those growth portfolios ride and not refill my short-term buckets, hoping for some recovery before um, I completely deplete my short-term buckets. So that's what time segmentation is. Yeah. And, you know, it, it definitely has best of both worlds is the wrong terminology, but it, it pulls from both sides of the fence uh, in terms of that total return and having that big chunk of risky portions of the portfolio that do have, again, that higher level of expected return, or at least that positive real expected return, positive inflation-adjusted expected return. But then it does have, you know, generally, it's going to be a, a bond ladder of some sort there. And you know that can very easily be a TIPS bond ladder. Uh, that you know you can get your inflation protection on that that income piece pretty straightforwardly. Yeah, and just a broader point as we start getting into the tips ladder again is you, you kind of have two options about your inflation protection. Are you going to go the tips route? Or are you going to go the stocks route? And the <laughs> the tips yeah. route uh, provides you a contractual protection for inflation protection. The stocks route provides you with an expectation that mm-hmm. that stocks should grow in excess of inflation and that you'll probably be okay with that. So right. yeah, we're now with a tips ladder uh, using individual bonds that offer yep. a real return plus inflation so that you know no matter how high the consumer price index measures, uh, your asset will provide that additional return so- to keep pace with inflation. So, so two points of clarity for someone listening in is uh, we're talking now about individual bonds yes, or a MIGA or something like that. But, you know, it could be some contract. But for the purposes of here, let's just keep it simple. We're talking about individual bonds. And so you are taking them to maturity. In total return, mm-hmm. we're kind of speaking in the world of bond funds. And you yep. have mm-hmm. one big thing and, and you're pulling it out, right? So here, 
because you can be say so I, I want to disabuse somebody think oh but rates will go up and so my bonds will go down you're taking them to maturity so they'll be at par assuming this high credit quality you know that kind of thing not like we're not talking about junk bonds or anything like that and so they're gonna pay out in maturity and you could add that inflation wrinkle if you will if you wanted to go the routes of tips or whatever but Bob said something I, I want to make sure it's caught up where do you want to put your inflation lever if you will do you want to have it be in the bonds do you have it be want to be in the in the investment portfolio or do you want it in both right it, it, it just depends and Wade was pointing and, and Bob and Wade were kind of pointing out that okay you can earmark your short-term cash needs, short-term being, let's say, three years or less, right, from something, right? And unless inflation just goes like crazy, if you will, you know, you may be screwed, right? But the reality is, look what we just went through, and we spoke about it in previous episodes. Inflation's actually hovering at, was it 2.9, Bob? Three? Uh, I forget like the exact number, uh, and I don't know what it'll be when this one comes out, but- Okay, but know, think about everything else. Broadly, historically average inflation. Yeah, yeah not, you're, it's not crazy. Like maybe eight months ago, you were like, oh my goodness, right? Mm-hmm. And so a, a total, a, a, a bond ladder thing, you still need assets to refill the buckets. Yes. Every, let's say, four to five years just to put out something. And so there, you kind of need the that risky exposure to be able to to fill those buckets in a manner that keeps up with the spending. Just putting it out there. So mm-hmm. personally, if I'm going to like, you know, worry about inflation, I'm going to contemplate that with the risky part of, of, of the time segmentation portion, not necessarily the bond part, but that's just my own personal yeah. preference there. You can, but, you can wait, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, if you do decide to use, you know, non-inflation adjusted bonds, that's perfectly reasonable, and depending on the length of, as your point, being, tax considerations, the whatever, of the latter, uh, you know, if it's three years, yeah, it's probably not the end of the world. If you're getting yeah, up into exactly. like seven years, well, now it might be a little more of a consideration. Yeah. But even at that point, you can. There's nothing stopping you from, you know, buying another bond for, you know, that three-year run, you know, and kind of topping up some of the shorter-term stuff. If we are seeing higher levels of inflation like we have the past couple of years. Um, but again, as Alex mentioned, you know, right now, forward-looking inflation, as we've seen by comparing the tips yield versus the nominal treasury yield, it's pretty darn low. Um, certainly a lot lower than what we've seen, again, in the past couple of years. And Bob, they're giving away iPhones. That's right. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait, you were going to say something? I think it was about how the acumen of my point. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah, you can't fully, like I did sort of say you m- might use the tips more with the time segmentation, but to the extent that you're using this in shorter term buckets, you're not giving that full inflation protection experience. The, the true like inflation hedge for a 30-year retirement would be to build a 30-year tips ladder. But of course, that yep. can also become very expensive to do. And so then it becomes ultimately a combination of some tips, but also the reliance on still the idea that stocks will grow in excess of inflation to make sure that that plan is going to work in the long term. Right. Yeah. The, it's funny. The, the other... The backbone of that inflation protection, you know, whether you're using tips, whether you're using nominal bonds, 
is still that higher level of inspection return in your risky portfolio. And Mm -hmm. one thing to keep in mind here, especially when we're talking about tips, is that risky piece of the portfolio can get really risky. Uh, You know, you're putting, depending on your mental framing, I, I take a slightly different mental framing than Wade does there, but you're putting a massive chunk of your bonds in that bond ladder, a massive chunk of your non, your, your less volatile assets in that ladder, which means for a lot of people, that risky portion may not be 100% stock, but it may not be that far off either. Mm-hmm. And it's really going to come down to you know what your mental framing looks like, how you want to put that together. Um, and that can that can cover up a lot, or cover up's the wrong term, but that can deal with a lot of inflation there. And and just yeah, another note with time segmentation, part of the story that of why it may quote unquote work, so to speak, is it gives you a dynamic asset allocation. Yep. And, and the, if your portfolio's in trouble, you get a risky portfolio you're, here. You're spending those short term buckets and you're not replenishing them you may be creeping up towards 100% stock allocation, especially if your growth portfolio is 100% stocks. So you have to be comfortable with the framing because of the what it can imply with a fluctuating stock allocation as you go through retirement and a higher yep. stock allocation when markets may not be looking as good overall and when most people would tend to panic and move away from, not that they should, but the, the, the panic is you, yeah. you shift away from stocks when markets are down because you get scared. This strategy has you stay in the he course, letting those stocks yeah. ride. And, and the other piece, and this is the, going to the flip side of that logic, I think. Uh, and Bob, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but somebody has somebody has ten million dollars. Now it's a different beast, okay? Grant, okay. but somebody could be thinking, you know what? The heck with this. I can underwrite everything that I need. I'm not going to spend this much, but I, I don't want to lose purchasing power. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna fill my portfolio up with six month CDs. And that's it. Okay. And it'll always recalibrate for inflation. I, I want to say I mean, Fama yeah. said something like the best inflation hedge is like a, a six month bill or, or something yeah. like that. No, you I, know? In fact, um, you know, I, I think I've told this story a couple times now where um, Gene Fama obviously is is at Dimensional Fund Advisors. Um, and when they came out with their one year fixed income portfolio, which you know, they use their variable maturity. So it's very rarely actually at one year. It's it's usually, you know, a couple months long in terms of duration. Uh, he wanted to call it the inflation hedge fund. They obviously didn't let him do that. Uh, and they don't let him make any marketing decisions. But, you know, it's that's really getting at that same idea. Having that constantly rolling portfolio does deal very effectively with inflation. And it's that rolling piece of it by bringing in the new inflation information. That's extreme optionality, by the way. (laughs) Extreme optionality. The problem is you're also bringing in the new interest rate information. So you're taking on a massive chunk of interest rate risk along with dealing with that inflation. So again, you know, just like everything, there are trade-offs implied here. And that also sounds like a, a rolling bond ladder that you're not actually spending yep. it. You're just reinvesting it. Whereas in retirement, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. To, you spend your bond ladder. So it's, it makes that, sense. That's why I said I, the only one that could do that is somebody that has an insane amount of money that yep. is like, who cares? You know? Okay. Yeah. 
So um, right. anything more to, to say to on go. time segmentation here? I think that's, you know, it's really going to come down to, you may want to use tips in your ladder. Your risky part bucket is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Hopefully, hopefully everything works out. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, the, the bonds hedge, the risky assets will outgrow. Yep. Yeah, in an ideal world. <laughs> so. Curious if you should be looking at a Roth conversion or what a Roth conversion even is? Head over to McLeanAM.com slash Roth to get McLean's free ebook. Is a Roth conversion right for you? And learn about when you might want to do a Roth conversion and when you might not. Just head over to McLeanAM.com slash Roth to download your free ebook today. Dealer's okay. choice on uh, which of the bottom two? Oh, we got to do income protection before risk grab. Never okay. do okay. risk grab before income protection. <laughs> <laughs> well, risk grab is an offshoot. Here. Wow, he has that on stone tablets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, risk grab is an offshoot of income protection. So income protection is you want to have protected lifetime income sources to cover your basic spending in retirement. And once you have that in place then you feel more comfortable investing the remainder in a, at this point, it can be more aggressive. You have more risk capacity, your lifestyle's less vulnerable to a market downturn. So an aggressive diversified portfolio, you're marked more for discretionary goals and your essentials are covered through protected lifetime income sources. And so once you get past social security, any pensions, any, any other reliable income sources that you have, if there's still a gap, rather than drawing from the diversified portfolio to fill that gap as total returns would do, you may look to purchase a, an annuity, protected lifetime income to fill that gap. And, and so Bob, kind of handing it back over to you, the issue here is commercial annuities don't offer inflation protection. That's so right. what does the income protection person do? Yeah, so this is, I'd probably say this is the toughest quadrant to deal with inflation on. So, you know, there are no, in, to the best of my knowledge, um, and I'm, you know, 99.9% sure this is a, still a true statement. There are no income annuities that have inflation adjustments. Bob, we, we spoke about that two podcasts ago. The only guy that, the last person, all right, let me ask yeah. him, wait. <laughs> Who's the last person that bought an inflation adjusted annuity? <laughs> what did he do for a living? Let me make it even easier. But this guy's not paying attention, Wade. This guy is just not, not I, paying attention. I mentioned this on a previous episode. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you mentioned this. You told a whole story about this one, Wade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Bob was checking his emails. Bob was checking uh -huh, his emails. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that actuary is probably yes. going to be the last one for a while. Oh, to, but um, he, his, Bob's neurotransmitters went crazy. He got it. Yeah, he was an, he was an actuary. The last guy in that, Arizona. Right. But, you know, maybe maybe someone got religion in the past two weeks or so and has put one yes. out there. Um, and they heard this podcast and said, that's right. there's an opportunity. That's right. I would love <laughs> well, it. And, and also to note, sometimes this point gets mistaken because people will say there are inflation protected annuities, but they're talking about cost of living adjustments. Like you can get Which an annuity. I said and you like knocked me out. <laughs> well, there we go. A fixed 2% increase every year, a fixed 3% increase every year. But though that provides you income growth, it's not inflation protection in the sense that if inflation ends up being higher, right. you're, you know, you're still getting the these same. These past two years growth. when we were looking at 8 or 9% inflation, 
you were still yeah. losing purchasing power. Yeah, with your two. Is it me to think I'm crazy though? I, I still think in the grand scheme of things, in isn't a quota at three percent good enough? It'll get <laughs> you, you know? over the course <laughs> of your life, probably. Um, but the issue oh. is mm-hmm. plus social security you know, and then plus, yeah, plus yeah. social security. <laughs> and we're talking yeah. about essential spending. We're not talking about yeah. all spending. Yeah. And the, this, the this went, is, go on. Sorry. The issue is that sequence risk though. You know, if you were someone who was retiring it. into the pandemic, which a lot of people were, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, you know, some of them retired because of the pandemic. Well, they got whacked with that really high inflation rate. All right, uh, but so they canceled really their Netflix and then they buy it now again. I mean, so yeah. what? Well, I'm sure you have <laughs> one or two irate listeners after that's that a, last statement, though. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, it, it's just you, you can't have it all, right? It is yeah. what it is. So, I mean, there that is definitely one avenue uh, to be looking at in terms of, you know, the income protection quadrant. Those inflation or those cost of living adjustments do not come free, though. Um, you know, those are right, relatively expensive riders to add on. Um, but you know, the whole, whole deal of income protection, quite frankly, is pretty expensive in this income protection quadrant. So, you know, that may be a good solution. I'm going to, I'm going to call you on that and I I can't explain it as well as Wade. When when Bob says expensive, what does that mean, Wade? Because I I don't want people to think, oh, it's (laughs) not expensive in that the insurance company is taking a a bigger overhead on them. They're still pretty much actuarially priced, but- they're putting, they're pushing your spending back, so they're going to have a, a yep. lower initial payout rate. So you're for a given premium, you're going to get less today because it's built-in increases over time. And I guess that's what you like. I also wasn't yeah. sure what you meant by expensive, but I guess that's what you're getting at. Right? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to <laughs> yeah. point out it's not that the insurance companies are <laughs> like, hey, here's cut. a sucker, let's yeah. get him. You know, it's not like that at all. <laughs> it's more no, it's, the yeah. environment is such that to price it out, they yeah. need to make those accommodations. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the same way that buying a tips ladder is more expensive than yeah. buying, you know, a non-inflation adjusted <laughs> bond ladder. You know, you're there going you go. to get a lower, a lower, lower dollar value yeah. coming out for the same amount of money. I think is a fair way of phrasing this. As I'm circling around the actual, actual right answer here. Um, but you know, there's a couple other things that you can be thinking about in the income protection quadrant. You know, one is well, you probably haven't annuitized everything. You know, generally people are going to annuitize. You know, their essential spending maybe plus a little bit more depending on the situation. And if you're comfortable with the inflation piece of your spending coming from your risky assets, that's definitely a viable way, though. It is worth considering, you know, that can end up being a big chunk of your portfolio or a big chunk of your spending, excuse me, later on in life. So that's I, I definitely, would, it's, that's a risky one. I, I think that's net worth dependent. I mean, uh, if, yeah. and what I meant by that is you said, I don't think most people will be able to fund all of their essential expenses with contractual income. And that's with mm-hmm. social security in mind. It's like, think about it. If, if someone makes, I don't know, whatever, $50,000 a year, Social Security will be a significant part of their retirement income that it will probably cover more as a percentage of essential expenses than someone yep. that makes 500000 a year. You know, yep. And so its results vary on that one. But the point is, 
look, try to line it up as much as you can with essential expenses. You, it'll, you know, sure you have social security, you know, that'll cover a certain part. And yes, you know, if you do decide to go in for protection, you try to do as much as you can economically, mm -hmm. but expect that you will need to invest in risky assets to effectively maybe try to cover everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's Wait. a big piece here. Yeah. Yeah. And also just, in terms of how much annuity that you get, I, I don't think you necessarily need to overshoot what you're trying to achieve today because of this issue that will over time, the purchasing power of that reliable income will decrease. You can ladder in additional annuity purchases yes. in the future. You may find that with this whole issue that your spending doesn't grow with inflation, you're still comfortable. You don't necessarily need to make those additional purchases. You could even set aside a tips that uh, a tips bond that you say frame as, well, this will be used for purchasing an additional annuity in the future, mm -hmm. and that way you can inflation protect that uh, at least the, the premium you'll be able to afford no, at a future yeah. date. And, that's a great point. And, and Bob, this is Wade. Cover your ears. When I when I when I said my thing and I said Wade, like for him, I was worried that Wade. This is great. You awesome answer out of the park. But I thought he was going to say yeah. And that's it. <laughs> and, then, and then we're like, okay, yeah, what now? <laughs> yeah. well, I've got that, more for you, too, was... on this one. Alex. Oh, fire away. <laughs> my man. Yeah, and, and it's just also to the extent that annuities can support more spending for, as, from a given asset base as you age compared to bonds, to the extent that you're using the annuity as part of your bond allocation, more of your future spending yeah. would come from the annuity, less needs to come from your portfolio. That's right. If you're spending less from your portfolio, this whole issue of sequence of returns risk, uh, it's easier for your portfolio to grow. So you're giving your portfolio a better chance at growing faster than inflation because you're not putting as much distribution pressures on it. And so that's another way where the, the income protection approach can still, the annuity doesn't provide the inflation protection but it can make it easier for the rest of the portfolio to yeah. provide the that's, inflation protection. That's that's why I wouldn't even get caught up with the you know matching everything with inflation. Mm -hmm. I, if I'm doing this, I'm I'll take the cola, call it a day if if I want. But I'm looking at the portfolio at that point because another thing Wade didn't mention that he likes to say a lot is this is now you have true liquidity, right? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> But that we're we're running at fifty no. minutes. I How was like, we, that is to inflation. I thought yeah, yeah, it's not one here. So. But Bob was like, I don't know, we have enough for today. Hold yeah, my beer. Hold, hold our beer. <laughs> and this explains why uh, Alex started speaking Spanish in the beginning here. He, he was trying to stretch out the episode, but we still have Never. a whole other quadrant. Never. Never. So we do have one more quadrant. The one we tenemos don't uno mas. Tenemos uno mas. <laughs> Risk wrap. I don't know how to say that yeah. in Spanish. Riego. Envolver en riego. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> Go ahead. Any alliteration available. But uh, risk wrap, you're comfortable with the market, but you also are comfortable committing to a strategy, and ultimately you want to put some guardrails around the, the market exposures that you take. You're more worried about outliving your money, so you do also think in terms of protected lifetime income. But that's where this is, just like time segmentation is more behavioral, risk wrap is more behavioral. And you could simply set up, you could use income protection. You could have an income annuity, you could have stocks. 
But with risk graph, you might look at something more like a variable annuity that mixes this together, where you have the growth potential within the annuity, while at the same time, you have a living benefit that provides a protected lifetime income stream. And so what does the risk graph person do to manage inflation risk? Pretty much the same thing as income protection and mixing a little well, more total return. I mean, it, it, as you said, I mean, wait, it's, you know, it's somewhere in the middle there. Um, you know, you're going to be more comfortable taking from that risky bucket um, or you're going to be less unhappy of taking from that risky bucket that someone that the income protection might have to do. And, you know, the variable annuity type of framework, obviously, depending on that product, gives you a little bit more flexibility um, and a little bit more potential for growth there. So, you know, hopefully getting some more of that inherent expected return uh, inflation protection, inflation outgrowth, if you will. Yeah, and I, I think also people may need to be a little bit careful if they're their risk graph and, and looking at the variable annuity because they're more probability based. Mm -hmm. They are more comfortable with the idea that the annuity may grow and provide step ups and, and that growth could keep up with inflation. But empirically, it is difficult for the a, a variable annuity to achieve these new high watermarks of growth during the distribution phase because market returns have to consistently be higher than what you're spending plus the, the fees, the, no, the fees providing protections, but fees plus spending, it's tough for the, the portfolio to keep up with that. So generally, as you go through retirement, you're going to eventually, it's, it's going to be hard to have those step-ups in growth. It's hard for the annuity itself to keep up with inflation. And so depending on your overall asset allocation, because the payouts on variable annuities tend to be less than the fixed annuities, you're also not getting to ride as much on, well, if I, I have this income from the annuity, so now it's easier to spend less from my other investments, so they'll have an easier time growing, but you're still going to have to spend more from those other investments as well. And so behaviorally, what you're looking for here may not ultimately be the best way to keep up with inflation, and, and that is a consideration with risk wrap. I, I don't know. It's not like every strategy is equally effective at keeping up with inflation, and that's where the behavioral nature of the risk ramp mm -hmm. strategy could put it in a more challenging position if your primary concern is this sort of inflation protection in retirement. So if I'm hearing you correctly, once you take distributions, you're kind of locked in on where the values are, even though you do have that market exposure, you'll still have trouble overcoming the hurdle of the distribution and of the just a general expense to get that new level. Right. So it's and it before over time. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so it's before, before this takes place. As you're accumulating, is when you could see that upside, if you will. But you know, on a on a level reset, but not the other way. Not once you're taking money out. I mean, yeah, stranger things have happened, but it's not something to bank on. Is that a correct, mm -hmm. uh, you know, normal right, because you have to explanation? Get consistent growth. Like if maybe the first few years markets are doing great and you're getting step ups, but as soon as there's one down year. Even if the market then recovers, it, just like the sequence risk, it's hard for the contract value of the annuity to now achieve a new yep. high watermark because you're That's spending so. from it and you did have that year where you're spending a bigger and, percentage of it. And, and it's, it's also the, it's the normal issue of you know when you go down, you have to go up a lot more. If you lose 50% of your value, well, you don't just have to make up 50% of value to get back to 
the original starting place. Now you got to make a hundred percent of your value. Um, mm-hmm. So we're also dealing with that just straight up math type of yeah, issue. Yeah, that's here part of well. the sequence. Yeah. Risk. and that's, that's known as where it's the same with total returns, but because of the additional like fees that are providing yep. protections with the annuity, it's that much harder for the the annuity to overcome the math that you just described. And so, it's a concern. Okay. It's I think I think that's known as the Kobayashi Maru paradox. <laughs> where's that from wade come on man you would know i know you've been watching a lot of anime so i I don't know what no No. seriously man (laughs) it's not an anime so is that do you know where it is is? that'd be aliens somewhere in the universe all right explain it to wade come on i'm sure some of our readers have to know this i mean our listeners this is like the most basic Star Trek thing. Wait, I, I yeah, know, I'm not a Star it. Trek person. So. Neither am I. I, I, I <laughs> honestly, I'm not either. We got him, Bob. We did it. Bob, we did it. Take a bow. We did it. We did it. Hey, hey, we got I've, him. I've seen The Godfather, at least. <laughs> Now you've got we did it in under a hundred episodes. We finally got him. <laughs> it, it was close, but, but it is less than hundred episodes. All right, it's a training exercise uh, in the Star Trek franchise designed to test the character of Starfleet Academy cadets in a no-win scenario. All right, yeah, I had no idea right. what that was. He cheated. Captain Kirk cheated, and that's how he passed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note. So where were we? <laughs> I, I, I think, think we've reached the end of the productive portion of the conversation. <laughs> we wrapped up right. the conversation, no pun intended, with risk wrap. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait. That, that's why a star is born. Now. A star is born. <laughs> All right, everyone. Someone's knocking at the door, so the dogs are going crazy. So I got only so much time left. I'll say my goodbyes and mute this out. Thank you, everyone. Right. Catch you next time on Retire with Style. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.